0: Your state, your team, your show, this is Sports Nightly.
1: Snap back, McCaffrey rolling right, looking to throw to football, steps, throws to downfield, J.D. Spielman makes a catch, five, touchdown, Nebraska, Luke McCaffrey to J.D. Spielman, and it's a one-score game again here in Lincoln.
0: Sports Nightly during the holidays is presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. With over 6,000 new and pre-owned vehicles in stock, visit woodhouse.com to browse the entire inventory. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Nate Roar. And
1: we're here Friday night. Glad you are dialing us up here tonight. We've got a full three hours as we wrap up a full week No basketball games during the week, no volleyball matches, unfortunately. Thought maybe last night we'd have a volleyball match, but it wasn't to be. So it's been five nights of of Ben and Greg, and tonight, Nate and Greg take over the final day of the week.
2: Yeah, you bring in the backup to to run a few plays, get us through through the end of the week and uh, call it good and then get us off to Christmas. Ben said he exceeded his pitch count for the week. You know, you got to work yourself back up. I mean, he's still trying to bring himself down from football season and and all his work on Husker game day. He's got to save some bullets for baseball.
1: He just went by his uh, first anniversary.
2: Mm, That's right.
1: They got married last December. I I remember that. You were there. there. You do remember being there? Yeah, how
2: about that? Okay. (laughs) I wasn't sure if you remembered being I, there. I, I enjoyed myself to the full. Uh, maybe a little too full, but I, I, I had a good time. It, it was a good time had by all. Yeah, well, hey, that's what weddings are for. They're yeah. celebratory
1: events, so sure. you had that. All right. Woo, we got sidetracked early in this one, folks. Um, all right, Here's what we have coming up on the program tonight. Robin Washington of HuskerOnline.com will join us. Some news out of the Husker basketball front that we're going to cover here in just a minute. He'll update us on that and some the thoughts about some recruiting for basketball which had an addition and a subtraction this week we'll get into that with robin here in a couple of minutes we, in hour number two we'll continue our top 10 countdowns of games broadcast on the husker sports network in 2019 we are up to number six we'll have that for you in hour number two we'll have our choices treatment center big 10 picks we have one bowl game That will take place before next Friday night's show. It's the Pinstripe Bowl between Michigan State and Wake Forest. We'll get all the guys' picks on that and update where we are on the season long standings. And we'll talk some NFL with Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. There's actually not one, not two, but three NFL games tomorrow. Last night I kept looking at the TV (laughs) looking for a Thursday night game. Yeah. Nothing there. Nothing. NFL there. NFL was gone.
2: Yeah, I, I, out of instinct, I checked my fantasy lineup to make sure I was <laughs> sure. set and good to go, and nothing. What's it been? Two straight months of Thursday
0: night football.
2: Yeah, having an NFL and even some college to sate our our hunger for. Football, nothing. Yeah. 0.0. 0. I, I know I was twitching last yeah. night. But
1: three tomorrow, and then the full slate of on Sunday. So uh, we'll hear from Ian coming up in hour number two. We'll have our weekend preview with uh, Nate the top of hour three. Going to talk with Anton Stevenson, the former Husker gymnast, who was uh, named earlier this week as a winner of the very prestigious NCAA Top Ten Award. Nebraska leads the country in top ten recipients down through the years. Anton Stevenson now makes it another one for the Big Red. We'll talk to him. We'll have our weekend review and our winners and losers for the week. We have not had you on since signing day. Your thoughts about what Scott Frost and this
2: staff did acquiring those 23 student athlete signatures? And especially a few of them in the last week or so of the recruiting cycle. I think that was about as dramatic a finishing kick as I've ever seen in terms of a recruiting class where they weren't just adding talent or, you know, just adding a few guys, but adding high quality talent in those last few days of the recruiting cycle. So often when you get to the last week, 10 days, whatever uh, of the recruiting period, you're grabbing what you can grab. But Nebraska was in on some people and you think of the recruitment of Omar Manning and he had silently committed to Nebraska, but sometimes you need silent commits to say, yeah, I'm in, I'm in the boat to make it okay for the other guys to say, yeah, I'm sticking with Nebraska. So the way they finished this class, uh, I think is notable and it, It's the best class Nebraska's had in some time. So uh, really a very good job by this staff. You think of the conditions under which they're recruiting, and you're talking about two losing seasons with this regime. You're talking about three straight losing seasons by this program. They had to go out and sell pretty hard, and, and they were able to pull it off, and again, able to pull it off with talented players, with talented players late, And especially at positions of need, they hit wide receiver very hard, they hit linebacker very hard, they got elite players in both position groups, so really this went from a class that we had some level of concern about for a solid three months. You do a good class, a really good class.
1: You, I go back to just seven days before the signing day, and you're sure. sitting there going, whew, they're going to add a lot of names here in the last seven, and they did. Mm-hmm. They were able to do I was going to go the needs category with you next, because that's fine if you go get twenty, twenty-two, twenty-three, whatever the number ends up being in your class, but did you address needs? I think they did, And and to me, when we look back on this class in three years, we're going to think wide receivers. To me, yeah. anyway, wide receivers is what stands out when I look at that list.
2: Absolutely, and different types of wide receivers. One of the tough things for me has been the fact that Nebraska has been able to develop that slot guy, the, the inside guy, the little wide receiver that you line up at a wing and, and let him go from there, but they've not been able to make that guy on the outside good. Uh, they inherited Stanley Morgan, but after that, They've not had a great outside wide receiver, and yet you look at the guys they've added to this class, even Xavier Betts, who was added to this class this morning, or Omar Manning. I mean, these are guys that can be out on the outside, can be guys that beat a cornerback in man coverage. You throw it up, and they find a way to get the ball. Now, they've added some of those slot-type, Dakar-type mm-hmm. wide receivers, too, and and you still need – to add those sorts of weapons to this offense. You can never have enough. But the fact that they were able to add wide receivers that you got to deal with out on the edge, uh, I think is what's really going to help because the whole principle of this offense is spreading you across the width of the field, and that just makes everything easier for your blockers, makes the throwing windows easier, makes the holes bigger. So the fact that Nebraska got a few wide receivers that you have to cover and have to reckon with, Uh, I think will be the big help of this class.
1: Wide receivers on offense was a big need. Linebackers on defense. Mm -hmm. Did you like the group that they have brought in at the linebacking spot?
2: I did, and especially at the inside linebacking spot. I mean, Keyshawn Green... (laughs) Is going to be a legit factor, but I mean, on the outside, you you think about it, and one of the guys that had been in the boat for a long time is Blaze Gunnerson, and and he's going to be your prototypical outside guy. Who, and I think he's going to be tasked with a lot of pass rushing and a lot of uh, of trying to create the pressure that this defense was not able to create throughout the season. So I think they did a good job in both groups. They needed help both inside and outside they were able to get a few guys in both categories that that could help them out
1: all right that was from two days ago I mentioned that Robin washitt's coming up here in a couple of minutes let's turn our attention to Oscar basketball the giant win the Nebraska got on Sunday beating Purdue to level their league record at one and one Fred Hoiberg met with the media earlier today and announced that Gervais Green who was suspended right before the Indiana game last Friday night will be available to play tomorrow. That's pretty good news on a bench that was starting to get really skinny.
2: Yeah, and it adds some depth to your team. It adds some talent to your team. My only worry about it is how does it change the chemistry of this team? Because this team had had gelled together to an extent pretty well uh, through that Indiana game and then, of course, the big win over Purdue. I mean, North Dakota is a team that Nebraska ought to beat. and And so you hope that any... Any uh, rust or any difficulty in reintegrating Gervais Green to the lineup they are able to work through tomorrow against North Dakota, but I, I just worry about the chemistry of adding him back to the equation. That said, he's a really good player. Right. You'll take you'll you'll take a really good player no matter what and figure out how to fit him into the picture. It's a
1: weird dynamic because you go and you look. Gervais, one of their leading scores, one of their leading rebounders. A lot of the statistical categories, he's one of the best guys, and yet you watch them play great basketball in
2: two games without him. Right, and hopefully that challenges him as far as to say, look, this thing ran better without you, so you had better give it 100 and whatever percent you've got to give when you're out there and make sure you're you're doing the right things on and off the floor because, as it turns out, we were better off without you against two conference opponents. I mean, it's it's not just Nebraska played well without him. They, they beat one Big Ten team, and they nearly beat another on the road. So clearly he's expendable. <laughs> clearly this team can play well without him at least. But it's nice to get them back.
1: Yeah, you just I mean you're down to, you were down to eight scholarship guys that were at the disposal of the coaches to put on the floor. Charlie Easley, the walk-on from Lincoln Pies, good, solid player, works his tail off. He was getting a lot of minutes right. in those first two games. And I don't know how long you can sustain that. So getting Gervais, Gervais back gives them that, that bounce a little bit. Have a chance tomorrow to get it back to 500. They're 5-6. Five sure. and six. Get to 500. you got two non-conference games here wrapped around the holiday. Tomorrow's with North Dakota, and then right after the holiday, or at least right after Christmas, is Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. To get that record above 500 before you jump out, I think that's psychologically, I think that's big.
2: And two, also being able to sustain playing well and being able to deal with two weeks of distractions when you think of finals for these guys, when you think of these guys flying home and then flying back and then falling back into their routine and and being able to gear it back up and get ready for that Corpus Christi game next Sunday, the challenge isn't What's going on on the floor? It's the stuff around them. But so often we've seen those challenges be too much for the team on the floor to overcome. And, and so it, it will be a test of their maturity to deal with everything that comes with this time of year, um, you know, starting with the finals that they all finished up this week. Uh, but being able to deal with all of that, come out, play two more good games, and be totally ready for the meet of Big Ten season. The one tomorrow
1: worries me more than Corpus Christi. And sure. I have we've all seen it. If you've followed college basketball, followed Husker basketball, how many stinkers <laughs> we've watched when the team knows as soon as the, horn, the clock hits zero, they're out the door and they can all go home for a couple days. Right. They're not locked in mentally. They're not ready to play. We've seen – I remember a Maryland-Baltimore County team came in here about seven, eight years ago. Doc was the coach at that time. Came in and beat Nebraska. And the guys had just mentally checked out. They weren't ready to play. They were ready to go home and
2: see, get Grandma's pumpkin pie or whatever they're going to have and and relax for a few. Mental maturity in this team. It needs maturity. They need to show maturity. And and so it'll be a good barometer to see how locked in these guys are, how focused they are, how ready they are to to put everything that's off the floor, keep it off the floor and and come out and play well and do what you're supposed to do against North Dakota because you get an eight day break after this. Right. If you can, and I'm sure this is the message that Fred Hoiberg's been preaching the last couple of days, you don't have school to worry about. If you can just lock it in for me for the next 24 hours from this point right now, then you've got a few days to just totally get your breath back. But right. give me everything you got right now. But. Yeah, you talk about that where teams know that this is the finish line. You think of that Minnesota game in football where Scott was talking about it's a one-game season, and and we've got the bye week. And Sometimes teams can use that as a carrot, and sometimes, as we saw there, it can be a a distraction where teams go, well, okay, we just got to get – we'll show up, we'll go through the motions, and and then we'll get time off.
1: Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Fred Hoiberg did say – he knew they were going to play well Sunday against Purdue because he said he could tell the guys were locked in during their walkthrough and their film session, getting ready for the Boilermakers, and boy, did they play well. Love to be able to fly on the wall and see what that preparation looks like tonight as they go through film and went, there, went through their final practice earlier today. Some people have asked me this week, why 5 o'clock game tomorrow? is a little busy. Graduation's mm. going on earlier in the day, and so they have to... Do the graduation in the morning, tear it down, get the court on there, and get ready to play ball at 5 o'clock.
2: Yeah, that's the whole point of this thing, right? And You get those you, December grads. Do they
1: bring you in to read off names? No. I mean, you're the PA guy now.
2: No, no. They, they also have seen my academic record, and they go, this guy <laughs> – we let this guy go through this once just because he paid us a lot of student <laughs> loan money. We're, we're not going to mm. give him the responsibility of reading down names uh, at graduation. And I was an August graduate, so yeah, you know, maybe sometime one of those August ones, they'll have me back.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's only appropriate. You're the voice yeah. of Memorial Stadium. You should be doing some of that. Back here on a Friday night, Sports Highly on the Husker Sports Network. Mentioned before the break that we were going to be joined by Robin Washington of HuskerOnline.com, and he is ready to lock in with us here. We mentioned, Nate and I mentioned in the opening segment, Robin, that Gervais Green has been reinstated to the basketball team. You were over at the uh, press gathering earlier today with Fred Hoiberg. Was this surprising or was this expected?
3: Relatively surprising given the, the fact that, uh, his suspension was so kind of out of nowhere. Um, I mean, three hours before tip-off uh, of their road trip to Indiana, in which he was on the team plane and uh, was prominently featured in the TV uh, social media accounts. Uh, they announced that he suspended it definitely from the team um, you know, it was for a violation of team rules, and that was all that really came out of it. Uh, so he misses the Indiana game, obviously, and then is out uh, two days later for that home game against Purdue. Uh, now they have a week off. Um, you know coincidentally with with finals week uh, this week and then on Friday uh, Fred announces that Gervais will be available now he won't start um, Thor year, year Narsen is going to make his fourth straight start um, and Green's going to come off the bench but uh, sounds like uh, according to, to Hoyberg that Green did everything that they asked of him uh, you know he handled himself the right way and you know they, they put some guidelines and um, things he needed to, prove and, and show uh you know over the course of this week and it sounds like he did all that so he will be back in the fold and you're talking about a guy that uh was about as prominent as it gets in nebraska's rotation over the first nine games obviously he started um all of those games to open the year averaged over 31 minutes per game um and even after missing those those two games to suspension he ranks in the top three uh on the team in points um, rebounding assists steals blocks and made three-pointers. So, I mean, he kind of did a little bit of everything, and now Nebraska's getting a, a guy that um, you know, is, is versatile and, and pretty important in a lot of different ways back in the mix. So it'll be interesting to see how they integrate him back in uh, to the rotation, especially given how well Nebraska played in his absence, uh, but certainly uh, it sounds like Nebraska is uh, very happy to have him back in the mix.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the bench was skinny when you when you took him away from this team, but as you just pointed out, they probably played their two best games of the year by far without Gervais out there, so it's going to be interesting how many minutes he gets and, and how does he fall back into this, but over the long haul, th- this is a really talented kid, that they have to have as a part of this thing. How surprised, Robin, were you with the way the Huskers played and competed both at Indiana last Friday and then the home win over Purdue?
3: Yeah, very surprised, especially given that, you know, the last time we saw them play, uh, it was 40-9 at one point up in Omaha where they looked like a team that uh, had zero clue what they were doing and had zero interest in being out there uh, and really looked uh, about as bad as we've seen Nebraska basketball look in a long time, uh, and so for them to somehow rally together over the course of that that following week and go to Indiana, and then oh by the way, you know one of your starting guards is definitely suspended just before tip-off, uh, and then push a red-hot Hoosier team into overtime and have multiple chances to win that game, and then less than 48 hours later uh, have to try to prep and recover in time for a Purdue team that has as big and physical a front quarters are going to see all season and not only beat them, but dominate them uh, over the course of you know those 40 minutes where they led for the final 25 and jumped all over them right off the, the opening tip. Um, that's uh, as impressive of a, you know, performance and display of resilience as you're going to see. So uh, now the issue is, can they find a way to to model that and uh, bring it on a a nightly basis, bring that type of effort and intensity and focus and execution uh, that all looks so good in those first two big 10 games. Can they do it again on Saturday when, you know, the the name on the front of the opponent's Jersey is nearly what uh, uh, Indiana Purdue are uh, when probably the fans are going to be a little distracted with um, you know, the holidays going on and whatnot, and uh, you got to bring your own energy a little bit. Uh, this is a new taste of adversity, once again, that the team is going to have to find a way to, um, you know, put it on themselves to go play uh, with the same type of fire that they did when they looked so good uh, in those first Big Ten games. And so if they can do that, you're going to have some good mojo going into January when that 18-game uh, Big Ten uh, schedule really hits, and that would be very important just in terms of morale and confidence going into
1: that. Yeah, no doubt. Chance to get back to 500 tomorrow if they can take care of North Dakota, 5 o'clock tip for that game. Let's jump into some recruiting talk, and uh, one of each, an addition and a subtraction for for the basketball program this week. Let's start with the addition, the commitment earlier this week from Teddy Allen from Western Nebraska Junior College. Uh, went to Boys Town up in Omaha. He's had had quite a path, hasn't he, Robin? I mean, this guy's been been around a couple of blocks
3: already in his college days. Yes, he has. We could probably do an entire segment on Teddy Allen's story, and it might not be enough time. That that kid has been through it uh, in a lot of different ways, and – has gone through some stuff that uh, you know most people around here couldn't even imagine and um, to his credit he's found a way to keep his head above water Uh, and it was actually the move to Boys Town that kind of changed his life where um, he got the support and structure uh, that he needed uh, to help him kind of stay on the the straight and narrow off the court and then he obviously thrived uh, with basketball. Basketball has never been the problem. Basketball has always been his escape. It's keeping himself, um, like I said, on track and out of trouble uh, off the court that has kind of been his, his biggest issues. And so he, go, he commits to West Virginia out of high school after being named the Nebraska Gatorade Player of the Year in 2017 um, and is a pretty regular contributor for the Mountaineers there. I played 35 of 37 games on a team that um, you know, went to the Sweet 16 and you know, had a couple double-digit scoring performances in the NCAA tournament. And really, it looked like he was going to be a factor for, for Bob Huggins for years to come, but uh, it just never clicked there um, off the court. You know, I don't think that he ever felt like that was home, and kind of you know wasn't doing the things he was supposed to be doing in the classroom and and, and away from basketball. So he transferred to Wichita State uh, and was did so under the uh, kind of promise that they were going to get him a waiver to become immediately eligible next or last season. And that waiver never came. So without basketball, without that, uh, you know, carrot of, you know, being able to play games uh, out there in front of him, you know, he kind of ran into some of those same mistakes where uh, he eventually uh, had an incident at a woman's home where uh, he was arrested, charged with two misdemeanors. And uh, the university, not the team, uh, the university dismissed him um, right after that. And he ended up at Scott's Bluff um, for Western Nebraska Community College. And what's interesting is he chose Western Nebraska because one of the things they sold him on was, if you come to our school, we will put you on the fast track to potentially getting to Nebraska. And that's interesting because Teddy has wanted to be a Cornhusker all along, um, but he never got the chance. If Nebraska would have offered him out of high school, he would have committed and been a Husker from day one. Uh, If they would have recruited him after he left West Virginia, uh, he would have committed and, and been a Husker. But, he never got those opportunities under Tim Miles, and you know it's funny. You know now he's looking at his fourth school. The timing was finally right, where you know Nebraska's ends. Um, they looked at him. He's leading all of junior college in scoring at 32 points per game, shooting 42% from three-point range, 90% from the free throw line. 6'5", 220. two-twenty. Uh, he's got high major written all over him. Uh, and then it's the fact that it's Fred Hoiberg here. He's a guy who has dealt with guys with checkered past. Uh, past that you know he's been able to get, um, you know, figured out off the court, and they go on to have very successful and fruitful careers. Um, so you know, I, I think that it, the stars finally aligned for Teddy to return to the place where he wanted to be all along because that network at Boys Town um, and that just the support that he has uh, around Boys Town and around Omaha—that's uh, where he had the most success in his life, not only as a basketball player but as a person. And so now. He has that around him again. Uh, He's back where he wants to be. He's going to play in an offense that fits his skill set. And so really kind of all worked out perfectly after a lot of setbacks and a lot of hurdles that he's had to overcome. So the challenge is, uh, you know, making the most of this opportunity and not falling into some of those same traps that have burned him so many times before. But I think that he's older now. You know, he's 21 years old and uh, has – Learned a lot, I think, from his mistakes and seeing what happens when you don't do the right things, uh, the consequences that come with that. And so, you know, fingers crossed that this works out, because if it does, um, he could be a star here. Um, and I think that's the hope not only for for Nebraska, but certainly for Teddy as well.
1: Robin Washett from HuskerOnline.com joining us, talking about Teddy Allen's commitment to Fred Hoiberg earlier in the week and then, Well, less than 48 hours later, a decommitment from Donovan Williams, the young man from Lincoln North Star High School, has been committed to the program for over a year. How much do you think his decommitment is related to the commitment of Teddy
3: Allen? Well, when I talked to Donovan after he announced his decision, I asked him that exact same question, and Donovan said it definitely, definitely, definitely had an impact. and That was a quote. So, Hmm. yeah, I'd say that there was a pretty good correlation between Nebraska getting a commitment from Teddy Allen and Donovan Williams moving on. Um, but I think that was more so the straw that broke the camel's back because uh, the things had kind of gotten distant uh, over the past couple months, maybe. Uh, you know, because when Donovan recommitted to Fred Oybert, uh that was before his injury. And then the first weekend of the AAU circuit in April, he blows out his ACL going out for a dunk. And this you know, staff still has not seen him play a minute of live basketball. And just this past week, he finally returned to just practices at Lincoln North star for the first time. So, you know, there's no guarantee right now or no assurances that, uh, you know, where he is and what that knee is going to allow him to do going forward. And so for Nebraska's sake, you know, they're kind of worrying about what type of player they're even going to get when he makes it on campus, uh, you know, next summer. And then you pair that with, Um, their need to kind of re-overhaul this roster and find guys that can turn them into winners right away. You got an opportunity to get a Teddy Allen, they're going to take him. And then Donovan had the chance to sign his letter of intent in November and he chose not to. He wanted to delay it, um, publicly saying that uh, he wanted to wait for his family to be around so he could do the ceremony with all his loved ones by him. Uh, And by passing on that opportunity, Nebraska didn't stop recruiting and they went and got Teddy Allen. And uh, I think that was kind of what Donovan needed to see about Um, where he was as a priority with this staff and uh, clearly got the message and he's going to explore his options elsewhere. Now uh, he's going to get interest from high major schools and uh, certainly division one schools, but I think a lot of um, what his next offer list is going to look like is going to depend on what that knee is going to allow him to do uh, once he's finally able to return to game action this season. And that might not even be until January the earliest. So, um, you know, I, Obviously, hope from the best. It's certainly disappointing that uh, the highest-rated Lincoln player in over a decade is not going to be a Husker, even after he was committed for over a year. But sometimes, you know, it's just not the right time. You know, and I think this is such a, it was the right time for Teddy and it wasn't the right time for Donovan. So, you know, disappointing, but I think in the end, probably the best for both sides.
1: Unfortunate. You're right. That's that's kind of the right word for that. And we wish him a speedy recovery and getting back out on that court and so he can show off his talents. All right, uh, busy week, man. Husker Online, I'm sure has been. Uh, you guys, maybe, maybe all, maybe the rest of the boys are taking naps today. It's been busy for those guys the last week or so.
2: Yeah,
3: you know, I figured it, I'll, I've uh, waited long enough to let them carry the load. I might as well step in and, and start doing some stuff. So <laughs> I'll, I'll give those guys a break.
1: This would be a good time of year to to pick up a Christmas present from you guys. Wouldn't it? You guys would be a good little Christmas present for somebody.
3: Well, you know, if anybody wants uh, all the, the Husker related football, basketball, recruiting news you could ask for, that's, that's the place to be. So, nice plug. I appreciate that.
1: Very good. Robin, Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. And uh, we appreciate the update on Husker Hoops.
3: Yeah, Merry Christmas to you, Greg.
0: See you later. This is Sports Nightly. Nebraska leads it by 963 54. Long three by Wheeler. Missed it. Rebound by Cam Mack. He got hit in the draw. He comes back with a loose ball somehow. Here comes Cam Mack. He wisely leaves him off. Burn! Highlight build. Top 10. Here it comes. Unbelievable. Sports Nightly during the holidays is presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. With over 6,000 new and pre-owned vehicles in stock, visit woodhouse.com to browse the entire inventory. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Nate Rohr.
1: We're back, hour number two, Sports Island here on a Friday night, our first full Friday night show since early November. We've had basketball games, we had the Iowa football game on a Friday, we had volleyball NCAA tournament action, men's hoops last Friday with the Indiana game, so we just have not had a Friday show for a while. We're figuring it out though, we're going to make our way through it. Coming up here in just a couple of minutes, we're going to continue on our top games of 2019 broadcast here on the Husker Sports Network with game number six. We'll later have our Choices Treatment Center Big Ten picks. And Ian Rapoport of the NFL Network will join us as well. But let's get into tonight's top
0: game. The Sports Nightly Top Ten Moments of the Year.
4: Left side for the match. Maddie Kubik. She got him. They did it! Nebraska
1: beats Penn State It's Measuring five. it, waiting for it. He gloves it, and the Huskers have
2: beaten number three, Texas Tech, here in Frisco, Texas tonight. Nine, eight, Sam Hybe goes away. Good! Sam Hybe gives Nebraska a four-point
0: Holy lead. Cow, the Magnificent Seven comes through in Chicago.
2: Nebraska
1: has become the fifth program in the history of college football to win 900 all-time games number six. Gomez trying to get the final out the 2-0 pitch. That's drilled to right field. Molenski going back. He's there. He's got it. And the Huskers have won this series in Waco. What a terrific pitching performance today by the Big Red, led by Nate Fisher, who went 8-plus without giving up a hit. And that Baylor series back in March, a series that was supposed to be in Lincoln, but we had ice on Haymarket Park Hawks Field, so the series got transported down to Waco, Texas, and Nick Hanley joins me now. He was on the call of that series in Waco, Texas. Um, wow, what a what a weekend, right? I mean, we were all, we were feeling so good as we left the park Friday night because we got the Friday victory, twelve to four. But I don't think we thought any way we could see a two nothing, no hit bid going to the ninth inning into that Saturday game.
5: I remember we went to a Fazoli's that night talking about, ooh, what is this thing going to look like tomorrow? Because you're right. I mean, the the Friday night game, the offensive eruption, I mean, Altavilla, Roscom going deep, the Brazos River. I mean, it was just like this was a team at that point, Greg, that really didn't show a lot of offensive prowess at that point. And they're going up against a legitimate top 25 team that had way more offense than what Nebraska had been showing to that point. And we're thinking, okay, I guess you get that one, and, and now you're with the house's money and as that thing just continued to kind of play out on Saturday I remember I don't think I had fingernails left because Nate was Nate was awesome but the, the one thing that I always pull away from that performance was if you were a coach that you wanted to emphasize the importance of location you just watch Nate Fisher throw that in because He didn't blow any of those guys away. He was so good with his location, his command, and being able to throw three pitches for a strike, and he was so unpredictable throughout that entire game against a legitimate Top-notch Big 12 offense. It was, I mean, it was just so much fun to watch.
1: And Nick, this is a guy that really hadn't started at, at all in his career until last year, and he was making a, it might have been his third start of the year. So th- he's not used to doing that, and to go out and and hold a, a nationally ranked team. I think Bader was 22nd or 23rd going into that series. To do that with the with not having starting experience at this level, that was remarkable, wasn't it?
5: Well, and if you remember, too, they they had made some minor tweaks to just his overall delivery. Some of it had to do with posture and just his follow through and and a little bit of his arm angle. Because the one thing about Nate is when he would get into trouble upstairs because the fastball, you know, it wasn't something that was going to overwhelm you. And when he was kind of messing up with it, that's where we would see him get beat around a little bit. And when you saw his location early in the game, you thought, boy, this is a good sign because I I think it was almost kind of similar to when we would watch Matt Waldron throw, if his location, if he was living low and he was able to kind of bury the curveball as opposed to hang it, then you got the feeling that, okay, this is, this is where he's at his best. And and I thought Nate displayed a lot of that early on, you know, and, and that's the thing that I think made it even more special was this was a kid. I mean, he's a local product. One of really in my four years of now covering this team on the radio probably one of my favorite kids just to be around. And he had the, the UCL injury early in his career, so he had to battle through that adversity. He's never had, as you, as you mentioned, never really had a pointed or definitive role as far as is he a starter, is he a reliever. At one point I remember they were torn with the notion of maybe making him a closer, and he just never was able to really settle into that defined role. And so you see him come out, get the baseball. And I remember when he threw at UC Riverside, earlier in the year he had another pretty strong outing and you thought okay well that's that's good to see and you know you you hope that he can just contribute because that's kind of all we saw from nate but boy as far as one of the real good stories of the baseball team and a guy who kind of came out of nowhere especially on the pitching staff that gave us such a huge lift. Boy, I, you can't really look past what Nate Fisher did.
1: Fourth start of the year for Fisher, that, that game on March the 9th against the Baylor Bears. It was a really low-scoring game. Runs were just at a premium. Nebraska scores one in the middle of the game to take a one nothing lead. They added a huge insurance run on the top mm-hmm. of the ninth. When did you start? Th- I mean, was it the sixth that we maybe started kind of going, this may happen today? Where, where did it hit you that, my goodness, he still hasn't given up a
5: hit? I mean, when I realized he hadn't given up a hit, I think, yeah, it was probably a little earlier. Like, I mean, probably in the back end, either the sixth or the seventh, where I really felt like, okay, something's different about this one is when Schwellenbach got the insurance run in the ninth, where you're thinking, okay, that was the big run. I mean, that was the one thing that Baylor had been just scratching, clawing to try to get. And here comes Spencer Schwellenbach getting that, that insurance run, that's huge. I mean, this is this is now Nebraska putting even more pressure on a team that is just so frustrated at the plate right now. And you could kind of see the desperation. Once he started kind of changing the eye level throughout the entire game, they were chasing so many pitches. And basically they were all hitting, you know, at Nate Fisher's, basically hitting on his terms. And, and that was – I think where the game really changed. and you, I, Yeah, I think you could probably even go back to the sixth or seventh inning where you could really see them. I remember uh, Wenzel, who was the outstanding third baseman. He was taking some violent hacks, but they were kind of uncharacteristic of chasing you know, as opposed to a guy that we knew to be a real disciplined hitter, a guy that had power, but a guy that could kind of hit to all fields. When you see guys like that that are kind of violently chasing pitches in the dirt, that's when you realize this just might be Nate Fisher's day.
1: Nick Hanley is with us. We're talking about our game number six in our top ten Canada games broadcast here on the network in 2019. It's the Huskers two nothing blanking the one-hitter against the Baylor Bears on a Saturday afternoon in Waco, Texas. Let's go to the ninth. You mentioned Schwellenbach with the RBI single to give Nebraska that big insurance run. So Nate goes back out there. The pitch count's getting up there pretty good. He hits the leadoff batter. And I've had a lot of people that have asked me, well, don't you leave him in until he gives up a hit? What, what, so I'll ask you that question. Should he have been left in even though he hit the open, the first batter of the game or the first batter of the inning?
5: I, the reason I say no, I think they made the right calls where they were in the lineup because I think Baylor had enough time to see Wenzel or I'm sorry, you had Wenzel coming up, the guy I talked about earlier. And he just, he scared us. And I think he was the one who had the one hit. He did. If I'm not mistaken, Yep, you knew where you were in the lineup. You knew how many looks now this lineup and it's a very good lineup had on Nate Fisher and, and, you feel like in most occasions you've earned the opportunity to try to record that first out. But as anybody will tell you, if you are in a, you know, the last inning of a game that's this, you know three runs or less and you get the leadoff guy aboard on a pitcher, as you pointed out, pitch counts up still relatively early in the season, I, I, I do think it's the right call. I, I think it's, it's something that, okay, leadoff guy's aboard, and it's always that sort of first sign of trouble. If you're, you see the first sign of trouble in the ninth inning, that's when you're going to have the hook on him. So, unfortunately, he let one get away, and you get the tying run coming up to, to the bat. And so, at that point, I'm thinking, you know what, it's probably not a bad opportunity to give them a different look. And I understand the counter to that. You think, well – you give them a different look, maybe that kind of pumps some life into Baylor thinking okay, we've been struggling against this guy the entire game and now thank goodness we get to see somebody else but I think in that instance, seeing somebody else and seeing a righty as well, I feel like Baylor, everything that they try to work with the 27 outs that they had, I feel like they were trying to work against a lefty and trying to time up, measure up Nate Fisher, and all of a sudden you bring in Robbie Palkert, you bring in a righty, and then you see something different.
1: Yeah. Palkert gets a double play ball, so now you are one out away from a combined no-hitter, and that's when Wenzel got the base hit, and Ted Silva goes back to the bullpen and gets Kobe Gomez to come in and get the last out of the game, and the Huskers win it 2 nothing. It was just a, a giant game, a, a giant series win, that I think in the back of our minds Nick you felt like that's the kind of win that's going to get you an NCA tournament bid because you've just yeah. won a series on the road against a team that is ranked
5: well you remember the conversation that we were having going into to Waco and you kind of pointed out the you know kind of the circumstances is this was supposed to be a home series we had so many issues going on not just in Lincoln but in the state of Nebraska that was when we started getting seeing some of the early signs of you know some massive flooding it wasn't the worst thing for you know guys like you and me to get out of town because hey we can go in the 80 degree weather but <laughs> for this team they, you know they they've been on the road so long you're thinking okay this could be wearing on them a little bit how are they going to sort of handle all this stuff and so there was a lot of questions. I'll, I'll be honest. I was very concerned about that series. That We're just hoping, Ben, out of this series, you feel good. You feel like, all right, That that's something. Get out of there. Hopefully you can play some home games here soon and uh, you go back to work. But, I mean, you, you looked at all of a sudden them taking the game the way they did Friday with a lot of offense and then taking the game the way they did on Saturday with just superior pitching and great defense and, and you know, timely clutch hitting by a few guys, you're thinking, okay, this team not only showed that they can go toe-to-toe with a legitimate top 25 team, but they can do it in different ways. And we go back to the the real disappointment that was the season before that. They were already starting to show signs of versatility with a lot of different areas of this baseball team. And so after that, and we knew Sunday, geez, Baylor's going to be out for blood. I mean, Baylor's going to be, you know, very desperate. I remember getting on that plane thinking, this could be kind of fun to watch. This could be a team that, all of a sudden, you're thinking you take the momentum from that weekend. I mean, they're going to have not only that, but the Texas Tech win to draw off of. Boy, that's some early wins that we just had not seen from this team in some time.
1: That Sunday game was the last time Nick we saw Connor Curry pitch mm-hmm. last last season as well. Well, it was a fun it was a fun series. It was a terrific game. Um, You're right. The tension was certainly high. My concern in the ninth was, yeah, you'd love to get the no-hitter, but you want to get the win because you want to win the series, and that's kind of where my focus got to. But it was certainly a very special moment for all that. And, hey, now we get to go back to Waco, right, here in about two months.
5: I can't wait. That that is just a great ballpark, and you know, just the, the setup there, and with the new football stadium not too far away. I mean, it's it's a it's a cool place. And, and you know, I'll say this too. I hey, we you've been you've been calling the games longer than I have, and we get a chance to see these guys on the road and talk with them. But I think what made that day even more special, kind of going back to what I said about Nate before, he was a guy that he just grinded, and you know, Darren always talked about that. You know, just need some grinders. He kind of was the epitome of that because. He never had that definitive role, but he never complained. I mean, this was a guy that never backed away from whatever role he was going to, you know, have on a week-in, week-out basis. The the guy just accepted that he wanted to help the team, and you just don't always see that, and I mean, just one of the true gentlemen, he was a great teammate, and when you see those guys succeed and have that moment, it's just, it's such an awesome thing to be able to kind of describe to the people listening, and so yeah, I, I mean, we feel great anytime they have success, but when you see some of those kids that have really put in their work and have, have really kind of bounced back from adversity and they have that moment, it's just it's such a special, special moment.
1: Looking ahead to two months, it's the biggest question mark for the team is that weekend rotation because Waldron, Fisher, and Reese Eddins, all three are gone, and all three had some tremendous moments last year. Waldron was just lights out pretty much the whole year. Fisher gave Nebraska so many big moments, and Reese Eddins won a, a handful of really tight Sunday games to win series is so for me I looking ahead of that team in two months who, who
5: fills those roles who are those weekend guys I
1: guess yeah. we're going to find
5: out yeah that and I mean this is gonna be the one year that I think maybe and you might disagree with me I, I think I feel better about the offense with that young class that freshman that we saw now our sophomores and you know even the young guys that were new contributors like Polensky. I feel better about the offense but you're right it's it's the pitching that we've usually had a pretty good beat on right now just I think there's options there's some very good potential but where will they all kind of fall and what roles that's going to be the thing to, to be sorted out and I think it'll be kind of fun to watch how it sort of situates itself Sure
1: will and a new coaching staff to to deal with as well All right appreciate it you got your christmas shopping
5: done I'm sure you probably do you're you're pretty Johnny on the spot on all that stuff Oh my gosh, Greg! If 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 I have any days off, like two days before Christmas, is when I usually get started. No, I'm actually, for the most part, ahead. So uh, just I just gotta get you, you and Ben, you guys as gifts, and then I should be good to go. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can just buy me dinner at Rudy's when we get down to Waco. <laughs> that you know what that was. If we would have see that was my first experience with Rudy's, which was fantastic. And then we did learn a hard lesson that if we ever want to go to that Magnolia table, we got to be there at like five a.m. So we yeah. don't have to wait.
1: Yeah, you may be on your own on that one. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Merry Christmas. We'll, uh, we're going to be seeing a lot of each other here in about two months. Sounds good. Can't wait. You guys have a great holiday, too. Thanks. Nick Canley, who uh, calls the broadcast baseball broadcast with Ben and myself. Our Big Ten game predictions are presented by Choices Treatment Center, helping people make positive choices as we welcome you back to a Friday night of Sports Island here on the Husker Sports Network. The last time we did Big Ten picks was for the Big Ten title game. And, Josh, I would guess
6: we all got it right. You're correct. (laughs) Not much drama there. No, not a whole lot. And uh, not everybody picked, including Austin, who is is with us. He did not not get a pick submitted in time, believe it or not. Bing. Buzz him. (laughs) He he and I, Nick did not, but my uh, guess is you probably also would have taken the Buckeyes.
7: That, <laughs> yes, most certainly would have taken the Buckeyes. My excuse is dead week and studying and homework, so
1: all lame excuses. Now I <laughs> will say that I I did say I thought Wisconsin would
6: play pretty well. Yeah, and they did. They, had, they were headed half. Yeah, you you nailed that part of it. I yeah, it's. We all we all got it right, but I'm if if we were picking against the spread, I'm sure there would have been some some differences on that cuz I I would have thought that Ohio State would have blown them out. So So did, give us so, the updated standings. Right. So there obviously nothing changed with who's at, who's where, but since everybody picked the same thing, but Nate still has a 1 point lead over Ben, so 79 to 78. I am 1 point behind Ben at 77 points and then you're behind me by 2 at 75. So 79, 78, 77, 75. Going Nate, Ben, me, and then you, Greg. Yeah, I'm pulling
1: up the rear in this thing.
6: Bowl season could be interesting, though. It could. There's enough games that some things could switch around a little bit. A lot of of close matchups. Nine Big
1: Ten teams make a bowl game. And there's one game before we will do this again next Friday night. It's the Pinstripe Bowl next Friday. It's in the afternoon. It's at Yankee Stadium in New York. Michigan State, who just slid in there at 6-6, six and six, held off Maryland in the final week of the regular season to get their sixth win to take on Wake Forest. Josh, what do you make of this one?
6: Yeah, this is an interesting one. And, and Austin and I were, were talking about this before the show started about Michigan State and Mark D'Antonio and his uh, situation there as head coach of the Spartans. And I, you know, they they finished with a couple wins, but against not very good competition. And I think that they just are a a mess. And I I don't know if they did, did enough in those last couple weeks to. To, I don't know, make a difference. So, Wake Forest, I don't know a whole lot about them. And I know that I saw Michigan State's favorite in this one, but I'm going to go with the Demon Deacons here. Wake Forest, I don't know. I don't know. Don't have a lot of reasoning why other than what I know about Michigan State. And that's the state of their program. So. Uh, give me Wake Forest here All right. Ben has uh, sounded off he is going with
1: Michigan State says I don't like it but I'm going with the Spartans <laughs> so he goes that way Austin how about
7: you I line up with Josh. I take Wake Forest in this one as well. They were the darlings of the early season, started out extremely hot. The offense was looking really good, tailed off in ACC play. So I have my concerns about Wake Forest, but way more about Michigan State. I don't trust them right now. Just weird to say about them. You know, they've typically been steady, 9-3, and 10-2 range. They just haven't been lately. Plus, the other thing for Wake Forest, they've won three bowl games in a row under Ooh. Dave Clawson. There's a stat. I just like them to make it four in a row. And
1: they've been pretty good offensively throughout the year, and you're going to need to be to be able to move the ball in that Spartan defense. I, I'm I'm with I'm with you. I, I'm going Wake as well. I just mm. I trust their offense to be a little bit more consistent in this game. I just I don't trust Michigan State, so I'm going Wake, and so's Nate Rohr. So mm. I guess
6: Ben's the only one. Ben's trying to make up ground. This could be a, a big <laughs> uh, big move by him. If, if Michigan State wins this, he will pull into a tie with Nate going into the last round of, of bull picks. So he jumps over all that. So now next Friday, we're going to be busy
1: because yeah. that we'll have the rest of the picks, including the national semifinal game between Ohio State and Clemson.
6: Now, That's I, going to be a week from tomorrow. I have a question. So if it, we do all these, the next round of picks finishing out, now what if Ohio State wins their semi and plays in the national championship game? Do we well, pick that game? Oh yeah, we'll have to pick that too. You're right. So we could have, we could have a pick it well, into January. And that might be the one that determines who wins this thing.
1: Yeah, and it could. And if we have a situation where we may have a tie, we may have to have a tiebreaker where somebody, you guys, the pick people who. Pick the score? Are, yeah, pick the score. Anybody who's eligible to win the thing. Yeah, sure. So. Love it. All right, very good. Uh, you guys, both of you to follow the NBA more than I do, uh, this this has come across in the last couple of hours some breaking news that the NCA or the N- NBA is negotiating. With their Players Association, and and they have sent a letter out to all the teams proposing that next year they go to 78 regular season games. That would be down four Mm -hmm. from what they currently play. They currently play 82. They would like to add a midseason tournament. Everybody's eligible. The entire league's eligible, but they would structure it to play. The higher seed would get to have home games. And the winning team, each player would get a million dollars on top of their salary. So that's what would be the incentive for the teams to play hard in the midseason tournament. They would like to have play-ins for the seventh and eighth seeds in each conference come playoff time in April. And then the final four, so what would right now be the conference finals, they're going to reseed one through four regardless of concert, conference. So you could have, like, Boston playing the Clippers yeah. in a semifinal. What are you guys thinking? This is pretty ma- major stuff,
7: isn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I'm not buying the mid season tournament part of it. No. I think the NBA does the all star break the best of any of the three major American sports league. Baseballs I enjoy watching, but I like that what they didn't didn't make it meaningful. I like the different competitions going on, the celebrity game and basketball's better, so I don't think they should be Messing with all of that. The format of it is weird, too. I don't think for those guys, a million bucks moves the needle like it does for the rest of us. So I don't think that would be enough, even a million per guy, uh, per team. I do like the idea of reseeding at the end of the year, though. I think that's a way you get the two best teams, you give them the best shot. So I'm in favor of uh, half to it, half of it, half to a third of it. So. Yeah, the
6: the the midseason thing, that that's a weird, I don't know. Like I, I, I would have to learn a lot more about it before I would get on board with it. I mean, if if it's more basketball, then sure, why not? But like, other than the fact, like, like what's it worth? Like, if it doesn't count toward, does it count towards your regular season standings going into the actual playoffs? Are you going to start counting like the championships? Like, I don't know. I, it, to me, there's a lot of questions that I have that would need to be answered before that. I've I've heard the the reshuffling of the seating at the end of the of going into the conference finals. Uh, you know, the last four teams and part of me likes it part of me thinks that that's a good idea but i'm i'm not all on board but part of you know it's like really like you just be better you know eastern conference has been down in the last whatever decade or so has been the weaker conference then just get better have your teams be better it's, it's professional <laughs> sports and i don't really think that you need to be helping out i i know that it's all about you know tv money and all of that but I don't know. I, I'm going to watch regardless once it gets to that stage, no matter who's playing. And I I don't think that it would matter too many years, but, it, you know, I think a lot of times there probably would be three and one from, from each side. So. Right. I, I'm with you on the reseeding. I don't know that
1: I love that. The midseason tournament, to me, seems like a cry for trying to be build up something big in January. To kind of pump some life into the league and maybe steal some of the
6: NFL playoff headlines away, or maybe college
1: basketball. Yeah, playoff. the
6: season is so long. I mean, it starts in October yeah. and goes all the way till June. Right. I mean, it's a long season. I think they're just trying to find something to add a little spark. Sure, little part of. The and I, because honestly, like the only part of the season that I really watch, other than once it gets to the playoffs and actually watch is on Christmas day and yep. and that's that's about it Me and that's too. i think that's a lot of a lot of people and I'll, like you know during january and february those you know kind of when when there's not NFL on, I'll start watching a little bit, but it's not, not very intently. Right.
7: I, I do appreciate them at least thinking outside the box and trying stuff. Sure. sure. You know, you don't see that from a lot mm-hmm. of leagues. So the other thing I do like is the play-in for the 7-8 and eight seed. You look at the Western Conference a couple of years ago when it was just a bloodbath. There were, I think, four teams that finished within two games of each other, so everyone just a half game separated. Give those teams a chance. You know, yeah, the better record will probably win, but... It was a crazy 13 out of 15 team playoff race there in the West. So that gives those teams a chance, and to keep playing for. It's entertaining for fans as well. Yeah. yeah. Wow.
1: It'll be wild. We'll have to follow that story as we move on. Welcome back. Sports Highly here on the Husker Sports Network. And we're going to be joined now by another member of the Nebraska Top 10 award winning club. The Huskers lead the NCAA in the number of top 10 recipients, which is given out every year by the NCAA Uh, to 10 outstanding senior student-athletes from the previous academic year. And Anton Stevenson is one of the 10 recipients this year, the former Husker men's gymnast. And Anton, congratulations. I'm sure you've been sort of aware of what the top 10 award's all about, haven't you?
4: (laughs) Sure, yeah. I I would say that it definitely came as a surprise when uh, I received the news, but... um... Yeah, it's definitely something I had looked up to previous winners in the past from Nebraska. I uh, just can't believe that something like that would be uh, brought to my life. It's amazing.
1: How were you informed of this? Did they send you a letter? Did you get a call? T- take me back to that.
4: <laughs> sure. So, one of my dear pals in the athletic department, uh, he's one of the associate athletic directors. His name is Keith Zimmer. Yeah. Uh, gave me a phone call about a month ago um, and shared the news with me and... Even though he, I mean he's aware of my busy schedule of that school and asked uh, if I'd be willing to take a sweet trip to Anaheim, so uh, of course I accepted that. And uh, yeah, it was just it was huge news. i was in the middle of class and it really made my day.
1: Folks, Anton was such a highly decorated gymnast, a four-time All-American in Nebraska. He finished up his career during the 2019 NCAA Championships, where he finished third in the vault and seventh in the all-around. How satisfying! was your career, and how satisfying was your senior year when your team enjoyed so much success, Anton?
4: Yeah, great question. You know, I uh, I really can't believe the amount of payoff it was for all the work that our team put in this last year. I mean, I I, I can – I don't know. It, it's really hard to explain even still. I, I just – I think of all of those hard days in the gym where maybe we're getting beaten down and we got a lot of school going on, but uh, – just feels really cool to have received like recognition not just for my own work but for the work of my whole team um really means a lot it's truly an honor
1: well it's a really special season and I, I know coach schmelka was really proud of the way you guys and particularly your senior class you and a couple of your senior mates how you handled yourself and folks anton's pretty pretty humble guy but i do need to tell everybody that you did win the usa vault title in 2018 and I, and I know we spoke we spoke after you won that and then you carried that over into a really successful senior campaign how much did you grow not so much as a gymnast Anton at your time in Lincoln but just as a person how much did you feel like you grew
4: sure uh I can't can't really explain it I mean I I would like to say that uh being responsible for my team is one of the leaders. Um, definitely taught me the importance of making sure that the people that you work with for a shared goal uh, are as on point as you are. And that's something I uh, really took home this last year. I mean, learning how to manage my time a little bit better, but also just putting others along with me uh, to lead to that shared goal and success, I mean, is just much more fulfilling. That's definitely uh, one of the big takeaways I took from the season.
1: Again, we're visiting with former Husker All-American gymnast Anton Stevenson, named earlier this week as a member of the prestigious Top Ten Award winner. He will be honored in Anaheim as we flip the calendar into 2020. Let's get up to, up to date with
4: you. What, I mean, You graduated from UNL in August. What are you doing now? Sure. Uh, I actually just took my uh, final exam of my first semester at UNMC in the College of Medicine.
1: Fantastic. What would you like to do? What's your kind of outlying goal down the road once you sure. get through med school?
4: Yeah, I uh, I definitely think the thing that um, stemmed my interest in medicine the most was receiving plenty of care for uh, orthopedic-related injuries in the past, and uh, I think that was really inspiring to me and part of the reason why I wanted to help other athletes in the future. Uh, I'm not dead set on orthopedics, but I definitely think that's uh, an area where I could really find a passion for.
1: Well, you'll be great at whatever whatever part you choose to do. You're just that kind of person. Are your gymnastics days behind you? Have you been in the gym any time recently? You know what? I, I It's
4: really <laughs> sad to say, but uh, gymnastics is definitely behind me now. I, I threw in the grips, and uh, I don't plan on taking them out. I really miss all the time that I spent in the gym, and unfortunately now I uh, – see myself gain a little weight and not <laughs> not as healthy as I have been ever in the past, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, I really miss it, honestly.
1: Anton, I've talked to so many athletes that once they kind of uh, hang up the gear or put away the spikes or whatever it may be, th- th- what they say they miss is just being around their teammates. Is that something that you've sure. noticed? 100%.
4: I mean, those are my best friends, and like I said, we share that common goal together, and uh, I really think that That brings a group together, and those are friends that, I I don't know, I shared something with that I've never um, shared with other people before, and so I'm definitely going to miss that. Also, from the perspective of, like, exercise, man, like, it's really hard to work out by myself after working out with guys uh, that are pushing me every day for so long, you know?
1: Very, very true. Very true. Well, Anton, we we certainly appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time. Congratulations on finishing up the semester, but really, really proud of you as becoming another one of the top ten award winners from the University of Nebraska. Very much, uh, very much earned by you, and continued success to you in your future.
4: Well, wow, thank you so much, Greg. Great to be here. Thanks.
1: There's Anton Stevenson now, a member of that prestigious top ten club at the University of Nebraska. Welcome back. Final segment of the night, final segment of the week of Sports in time for our always fun winners
6: and losers of the week. Josh, why don't you lead us off? All right. Sounds good. I'll start with my winner. Uh, Joe Burrow is my winner. Not only did he win the Heisman Trophy, but it was announced earlier this week that he will have his high school football stadium in Athens, Ohio, named after him. So I don't know if I've heard about somebody that young getting a football stadium named after them, but... He is deserving after winning the Heisman Trophy this season. And didn't he also kind of talk about a small town that needed some assistance? And yes. they did a GoFundMe page and it raised all
1: kinds of money.
6: Yeah, he's he, he's already kind of turned out to be somebody that is going to be impactful no matter what he does. So, good yeah, he's, for him. Yep, good for him. Um, my loser is everyone on Arizona State's men's basketball team except for a guy named Alonzo Verge Jr. So Arizona State lost 96-56 to to St. Mary's on Wednesday night. Verge scored 43 points off the bench, so all but 13 of the Sun Devils' points. Only two other guys even scored for Arizona State out of 12 who saw playing time. So everybody else besides that guy needs to get it together on Arizona State.
1: <laughs> I think they... I want to say they play Creighton here coming up That's at some point. Sounds in time.
2: right. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, Nate Roar. All right, my winner of the week, Travis Fisher, Nebraska's defensive backs coach. What a Amen. miraculous <laughs> really a miraculous job he did on this recruiting class and 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 helping this this recruiting class develop. I mean, we, we were kind of worried about this thing with about ten days to go, but primarily thanks to his efforts and i know all the coaches have a hand in it but he in particular is kind of your ace of this thing and and an important recruiting class that he helps spearhead and improve so he's my winner of the week and my loser i'm gonna go usc football usc football understand they're in los angeles big city a lot of athletes great tradition they were seventy-ninth yeah. in the twenty four seven recruiting rankings. Seventy seventh is SMU. Seventy eighth is Bowling Green. Eightieth <laughs> is Louisiana Lafayette, eighty-one is Mizzou, eighty-two is UMass. So you're in the same neighborhood as UMass. And seriously, if you throw a ball in any direction from the Coliseum, you can hit a division one athlete. What are you doing?
1: Incredible. We Ben and I did talk about that last night, just amazing. <laughs> That they could order up an Uber and go out and in 30 minutes, find 10 guys to play for them. Sure. That they- are good. Oh, yeah.
2: That are <laughs> They're that good everybody would want. Yeah. How is it that bad? Awful.
1: All right, my winner of the week are the 40 student athletes that are going to get their diploma tomorrow from UNL. Great honor. Congratulations to all of them. That's what it's all about for them to get here and get that degree. So 40 of them going to be getting that d- diploma tomorrow. My loser is whoever told Jaden Francois that Travis Fisher was leaving. Yeah. That guy's a loser. Whoever it is, if it's a coach on the Miami Hurricane staff or whatever, that guy's a loser. That made that ruin that kid's day. Day, making that kid second guess what he was going to do in Nebraska. So whoever that was, you're a loser.
2: But if he's a Miami coach, that's a, that's redundant anyway. That's it. That'll wrap it
1: tonight. <laughs> Thanks to Nate and to Josh, to everybody for being a part of this one. Back with you again on Monday.